You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Well, good morning, Radiant Church. Thank you for joining us today. We thank you for choosing to worship with us. Welcome to you online today. My name is Troy Nayert. I am one of the elders here at Radiant Church, and I have the pleasure and the honor of filling in today so Pastor Marco and Carrie could get away for the weekend. They are with us this service. Thank you for joining us. And they always need, you know, pray for them. They need time to get away too, you know, and as uh, leaders and elders in this church, you know, we are able to help them do that and also help bring the message so he can get some time off and relax a little bit. So today, I'm going to ask you something. Maybe you're going through, maybe you've been through dealing with chronic pain. Maybe you're dealing with pain in your life right now, something that is just overwhelming to you. You know, maybe you're crushed in spirit. You know, maybe you're just um, trying to get through a day. You know, there's hope. And that's why I'm up here today. You know, you've tried everything. If you're like me, you've tried everything to get out of the situation. You know, maybe it's going to doctors, maybe it's surgeries, maybe it's uh, medication. But you just can't turn the corner. And that's what we're here to talk about today. What if I told you, though, in your pain and your suffering, to wait for the Lord? What if I told you that God is faithful in all situations? What if I told you that our pain is incomparable to the sufferings of Jesus Christ? You know, a lot of times we get so focused on the pain that we forget the healer of pain, the comforter. So today I'm going to share with you some of my story. Some of you know me, some of you don't know, so we're going to kind of bring you up to date today. And through this, I hope through my story it shows how God has used my pain to make me more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you today for your mercy, for your grace. Father, in my prayer today is, as the second song that they sang today, Lord, for you to do what you want to, that you begin moving in hearts and moving in minds of those that are sitting here, those that you know who they are, Father, that are sitting here today that are in pain, that are, uh, have been through something horrendous, Lord, and, and they have maybe given up. So, Lord, today I just pray that uh, this word from you is something that helps them, Lord, helps them to remember that despite what they feel, they have a Savior that endured much pain to save them, to be their Savior. So I give you this message, Father. I give you this uh, morning, Lord, and I thank you for those that have joined us both here and online. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So can you remember a time in your life, you know, where Jesus really became real to you? We all know that day when we bowed our heads and we accepted Christ into our lives. Our journey began. We accepted him. He became our savior. We turned our lives over to him. He began to remold us and form us. So that's why they say born again. You get a second chance. You get a chance to accept the love of Jesus Christ. Well, Christ has always been a part of my life. I accepted uh, him as my Savior in 1983, and the journey began. He was always close to me. 
uh, but there was a day that he became so real, so present, was May 5th, 2016. You know, it was that day I had just, I was living the dream. I started a new job. I was working from home. I retired from the RV business after 15 years. And I was able to set my own hours. I was able to go out and inspect RVs for damage and report back to the insurance companies. I was in something I knew. And I was working from home, which gave me more time to ride, which gave me more time to be with Ann and do things and set my own schedule. I thought I was in control. So I remember that was a rough day. It was a cooler day, it was May 5th. And I just remember I, I wanted to blow off some steam. You know, I had estimates to do. I had things that had to be into my boss. Insurance companies breathing down my neck. Where's this estimate? So I said, I know what to do. I'm gonna go for a motorcycle ride. So I geared up. And for this day, I decided to just gear it up because it was cooler. So I put uh, gloves on, I put my uh, leather jacket on, put my boots on, my helmet on, which I always wore. I went into my Spotify, loaded up Volbeat, and I hit the road. But before I left, I asked Anne, my Anne Maria, I said, do you want to go? She says, heck no, it's too cold out. To know Anne, when I had my motorcycle, if it wasn't above 80, 82, she ain't going nowhere. She would not get on the bike. And then when she was on the bike in that 80, 85 degree weather, we had communication in our helmets so we could talk to each other. Oh, wow, did you see that? Oh, wow, is that nice? But I heard, it is freezing. Are you going to stop soon so I can warm up? As the beads of sweat came down my head, I'm thinking, sure, we, we can stop. And we would stop and she'd get herself a cappuccino and she'd be riding on the back of the bike, enjoying her cappuccino in the heat. I'm like, okay. So that day I took off, and you know, looking back now, I'm so grateful that she didn't go. I'm so grateful, and God's mercy, she said no. So I took off, and the, the ride, as always, was beautiful. Music in my head, looking at God's scenery, just enjoying life. And so I decided, you know, I better get home because I told my wife I'd be gone for about an hour, which, how do you do that when you're riding a bike? But I told her I'd be back. So I was heading down Young Stitch Road, heading home, and I approached the intersection of Jones, Young Stitch and Jones. All of a sudden, there was a car that turned left in front of me. There was no way to avoid impact. Two things went through my head that day, and I remember saying these. Jesus, my life is in your hands, and this is not going to end well. And it did not. So as you see in the picture, that was the bike. And uh, it's a miracle, really, that I even survived that. But I remember the, uh, God intervening right away. It was told to me, because I don't remember it, is that after impact with that car, I flew 30 feet in the air, I say I was carried, hit the concrete, and landed in a ditch full of water, God intervening again. And the third inter intervention from our Lord was there was an off-duty firefighter sitting at the stop sign who seen the whole thing. He reacted, he went to the ditch, slid down into the ditch, found me face down in the water. When I woke up, 
it was probably 30, 35 minutes. I was sitting up in the water with water. Just, I was looking down like, what's going on? All I remember was seeing grass of the ditch. And I remember him talking to me and asking me all kinds of questions. And, and I just remember thinking, wow. I asked him even, I said, why are you in the water? And he said, because you're in the water. And so I then remember, from there it was just like kind of fuzzy. There was rescue workers sliding down in the ditch on all sides of me. These boards were coming down in the ditch. All this stuff was going on. And I was thinking, wow. So the silliness of me was thinking, how am I getting out of this ditch? Well, all this stuff was coming down to get me out of this ditch. And so they raised me up. Uh, at that point, they had called my wife, and they told her that I was in an accident, that I was okay, and that they were transferring me to the hospital. Anne, at that time, had worked at McLaren Hospital. And so that's where she had it. Well, they told her, no, he's not coming to McLaren. Due to his injuries, he needs trauma too. So we're taking him to Covenant. So she's like, why not? Why aren't you? I work here. And they said, sorry, we're going to Covenant. So I remember just a quick story in the ambulance. They're talking to you. They want to make sure you stay conscious. Uh, they're doing their jobs. And I remember him saying to me, what kind of car does your wife drive? And I said, a red terrain? He said, is she blonde? I said, yes. He said, does she wear big sunglasses? And I said, yes. And he says, well, there's a woman's been following us back there. Her hands are waving in the air, and she looks like, and I said, that would be my Anne Marie. <laughs> so little did we know she was following us this whole time. She just happened to be going down the road, seeing the ambulance, like, this has got to be him, so I'm following it. She was right. So I went into the hospital. Um, they took me into trauma, too. They started going over me, cutting clothes off. I remember one, th one memory was I had gotten this sweet new hoodie from the tunnel of trees that Ann and I went through the tunnels of trees, and they don't have them there anymore. So I had one on, and I was in the ambulance, and they started cutting, and I said, whoa, what are you doing? They said, we got to cut your clothes off. We're going to cut your jeans off. And I was like, you don't understand. This is, this is, I can't get this anymore. And I remember him saying, it's coming off. So they cut it off, and I went in the hospital, and they began checking me everything. I remember them checking. I remember them, the nurses telling me, take all pride and set it aside, because we're checking you from top to bottom. And I'm like, okay, why would we be checking? Well, Ann had found out that they were checking for leeches because I was in a ditch full of water. So they had to check me out to make sure. Then the party started. It was on the gurney, x-rays, MRIs, everything. They just took me, and I was gone, back, gone, gone, and poor Anne is sitting there waiting to find out what's going on. And I'm going to give you a list of uh, what was going on. From the accident, uh, the first thing was they found was a brain bleed in the frontal lobe of the brain. The frontal lobe of your brain is responsible for like memory stuff, uh, moods, things of that nature. Anne would already say I'm moody, but she would say that that had affected me. So I'm thinking, okay, a brain bleed. All right. And then uh, thinking, oh man, that doesn't sound good. So then the next thing they found was a fracture of the C7 vertebrae in my neck. It broke my neck. And when I got out of the ambulance, I, my thumb hurt and my leg hurt. 
That's all I kept telling Ann. The ambulance door swung open, and I remember Ann, I said, look, babe, I flew 30 feet, and only my thumb and my leg hurts. She's like, wow, okay. <laughs> so then they said his uh, tibia and fibula is shattered in his left leg. Thinking, okay, well, I guess that's pretty good for getting in an accident. Well, they found a fracture at the base of the bone in my right hand was shattered. They had to repair that. Then they said, oh, by the way, your pelvic is fractured. You have several fractures in your pelvis. And thinking, all right, what else? Fracture of the 11th rib, and I discovered I had vertigo. So it was a lot going on that day, and I just remember, I guess they did surgery on my leg, that surgeon left, and the hand surgeon came in and did my hand. So if you ever go to Covenant, you get two for one. They'll take you in, they'll do one surgery, the other guy will come in, he'll do the other surgery. So I got both surgeries done. And I remember, I forgot to share this first service, but God intervening again. We had just left our previous church and we had uh, found Frankenmuth Bible Church in Frankenmuth, Michigan. I was two weeks away from debuting on drums there for Pastor Joseph. Obviously, we got in the accident. That got changed. I remember a woman coming up from our old church. She came into the room, and she said, oh, my gosh. And she, we told her the injuries. She laid hands on each part, my leg, my pelvis, my ribs, my head. You know, and I just was grateful that she would pray over me. Well, the next day, they sent me down to check on the braid bleed, and it was gone. They couldn't explain it, but it was gone. The touch of God. So, then it began. I moved into the uh, Hotel Covenant, and I was there for three weeks, which was a hard three weeks. You know, I'm thinking in my head, I went away for a motorcycle ride, and I'm not home. So three weeks I laid in there getting to know uh, the different nurses, the aides, and it was just so special, you know, God intervening again. I would share my faith. We had nurses come back that weren't even working on that floor that day to check on me. They would pop in and say, hey, Troy, how's it going? Another opportunity to witness. So that was good stuff. You can put those, oh, you got them up. Thank you, man, you're on it, Brittany. So the surgeries in the hospital was two on my left leg, uh, my pelvis, and my right hand. You can see the pins sticking out of my right hand because they had to basically rebuild that, and I am right-handed. So there you lie in the hospital. You can't get up because of the pelvis. They told me, oh, by the way, you're not walking for three months. So it's like, uh, how do I go to the bathroom? We have these things called bedpans. We have these things called urinals. You ring the buzzer, we come in and we take care of business. I'm thinking, whoa, what do you mean? Well, I found out what that meant. <laughs> so it was just, it was very hard to me, and that was one of Ann's fears, because she would tell you that I'm a very private guy. And all of a sudden, I had nurses coming in saying, oh, you have to go to the bathroom? Okay, let's go. I'm like, uh, you leave the room? You know, so it was a humbling experience. I learned humbleness as Christ displayed. So, as I was trying to decide and trying to understand what was next, because Ann and I were like, this is new to us. 
what do we do? They said, well, you're going to have to go to a rehabilitation center. You're going to have to learn to walk again when you're cleared to walk. You're going to have to learn how to get your right hand back, your strength. And don't forget, you have the, the brain bleed. What the brain bleed was stopped, but what the outcome of the brain bleed was, it was a traumatic brain injury. So what had happened is I had lost short-term memory. I had lost things that I, I couldn't remember and would say I repeated myself, but the story was always the same, right? Okay. And so there was things that we were trying to get used to, and that still affects me today. There's times I have what they call mental fatigue. After so much, my brain just shuts down. That's it. It's over. Like today, I'm off. I'm gone. I'm off radar because I already know I need to rest. I need to recuperate. So that was a, that was a big bit hard on us. So we're thinking, okay, where do we go? Do we have to go to a nursing home? Do we have to go, where do we go? And Ann's like, I can't put him in there. So my little detective there started looking around and she stumbled on a place called Rivers Bend Rehabilitation Center in Bay City, Michigan. It's a place that cares for the uh, people that have had brain injuries and people that are struggling. They have great therapists and they help you right through it. Because of the brain bleed and because of the damage there, I was able to be considered. But the problem was is they considered me a three-person lift. So they need three people because I couldn't do nothing. So they started looking and thinking, okay, where are we going to take them that they can have three people? Riversman came to the hospital, visited Ann and I, and they said, we think we can, we think we can do this. And Ann's like, okay, can you do it by Friday? This was Tuesday. And they said, well, I wanted out of that place. I didn't want anything more to do with the hospital. Sorry, nurses, doctors, I want out. So she asked them about that. Well, guess what? I was on my way in the ambulance on Friday to Riversbend, my new home, for three months. So as I was there, I, uh, you, got the, you got those pictures up, Brittany? That became my home. That was my uh, physical therapist over here. She was helping me that day. That's when they started to clear me to get up and walk. I was able to uh, actually get up, put some weight on it until they said I was turning white, and then I sat back down. And that was a struggle. That was as I went from the wheelchair, I went to the walker. That was at the gym. Eventually to the cane. Some of you might remember me here before. Once in a while I would use the cane after surgery after surgery. So once at Riversbend, I started learning different traits. I started learning that, Troy, you're not in control. Troy, you don't dictate what happens, I do. When you are in the pits, I'm the one to lift you out. I started learning something that's hard for me, and if you're a guy you can relate to this, is dependence. You started realizing that it's not up to you. You can't do this on your own. You started learning that Without the help of others, my wife, the staff at Riversbend, I mean, picture yourself laying in the bed. You ring a buzzer, and these guys come in, and you do your thing. I would wait for Ann to come, you know, because I was comfortable. So you just got to remember that you think you're, you're in control of things, and you think that you dictate what happens. You don't. 
You really don't. You can be safe as you want. I was a safe rider, and would tell you that. I always said I went on the back roads because they're safer. The back road is where it happened. You can't escape those things. So I remember at Rivers Bend, as I started to get to know the patients, I began to be known as the, uh, here comes that Christian guy, you know, when I went to the gym. And I was able to talk to patients. See, because therapists don't understand. They can't put themselves in their shoes. They don't know what those people with the brain injuries are thinking, how they feel. They can't relate. I was able to talk with them, relate with them, and encourage them. And that was so important for me. One, it made me feel like I had a purpose. See, because after that accident, you go from playing drums, riding motorcycles, doing all these things, to them telling you for three months you're doing nothing but laying in that bed. And you're going to be dependent on everybody that walks in that door. So for me, that was an eye-opener. So I finally remember when I got my go-home free pass after three months. It started with little visits to the house. They said, okay, you can go there Friday, and we'll pick you up Sunday night. They dropped me off. They drive over, wheel me out of the truck, wheel me up the ramp. We had a ramp put in. I would stay home, and you can imagine Sundays were dreaded for me because that meant I was going back to Rivers Bend. So that became hard on me. My wife encouraged me. So I remember when they finally said, you get to go home, and I said, I don't have to come back. And they said, nope, you get to go home now. And you would think that, wow, man, you did it. You made it home. Everything's good. That was a tough time for me. You know, because now you come home, and you realize that you've changed. You realize that you're dependent on Ann. You realize that you can't do things you used to do. So all of a sudden, I knew I had a drum set downstairs. I knew that I had model kits downstairs that I could airbrush and paint. But you know what? I couldn't do it. I would, every time I looked down and seen the pin sticking out of my hands, you know, or the, or the leg, and that uh, it, was, it was just hard. It was so hard to realize that something you want so bad, you can't do it. But yet God's mercy and grace is there. So I, did, I, I even remember asking him one time, why did you keep me here? Why? I kidded with Ann, and she didn't like the joke, but I don't know. I, wasn't, I was serious, but I would said to her, if I did not survive that accident, I win. I'm home. I'm with my Savior. If I did survive, I get to have more time with her and to do his work. So you see what I'm saying? Either way, I win. So I started thinking, man, this would have been so much easier to go home because now I'm not going to go through all this. I'm not going to go into surgery after surgery, therapy, uh, depression, whatever. I wasn't going to go through those things. So as gracious as God is, you know, he reminded me about our conversation and when I was at Riversbound. The breaking point for me came when I was, I don't know, complaining, angry, and talking with God. He simply said in love, what's your favorite verse? I said, well, you know that. It's Psalm 46.10. And he said, then I need you to be still and know that I'm your God. That did it. That turned around for a little while. So, 
came home, my journey began. But what I didn't realize is this journey was a discovery of who I was, more importantly, who I was in Christ. Little did I know that this journey would help me become more like him, which I come to find out. Flash forward to today. It's been six years since my accident. And uh, I had two more surgeries on my left leg in the last year. You can put those up, Brittany. I had all the hardware removed, and I should have told you graphic warning. Some of these photos might creep some of you out. Some of you would say, is that all you got? That was the surgery when I got the hardware removed. As you can see, it's not the typical scar. This was the surgery after they put my knee in, my new knee. I'm bionic now. So what, they, what you don't know there is that surgery there, after I was buttoned up and trying to deal with that, I had to wait four months and go back in and get that same scar opened up to put the knee in. They were concerned for infection. They were concerned for gangrene. All the things that could set in, they wanted to make sure that my leg was going to handle it. So the same surgeon took the hardware out, went back in, hey, Troy, what's up? Put the new knee in, and that was it. So you think, oh, good, you're done with surgeries. Well, just three weeks ago, I had surgery on my, well, I'm going to say my good leg, my right leg. Being the weight and everything, the way I walked and the way I reacted from the injuries from the left leg, I ended up getting a torn meniscus in my right leg. So that's the picture of the recent surgery. And they repaired that. And uh, I thank God that that is much better. It is much better. So again, God shows up again. You know, and it's, I still carry the weight of everything that I've been through. You know, and, and after the surgery and that, I started noticing stiff, my legs being stiff numbness, tingling. I'm thinking, oh, what's this? Did the surgery go wrong? So I went to my doctor and I told her what was going on and she said, okay, well, it could be this. My physical therapist was giving me her spiel and they talk in that weird language. I don't know what that means. Just tell me, is this broke or is this fixed? So she, they would go through all the good stuff. So I went and got the x-ray, come back and they went, you're good. There's nothing there. And I'm thinking, sweet. She goes, but we're going to send you for an MRI, which will give us more detail. And I'm thinking, why didn't you send me for an MRI first, and we'll just skip this? Well, with insurance, you got to go one, then to the other. So I went in for the MRI, and it came back that I have a herniated disc in my lower back. Again, your body's not designed to fly 30 feet in the air, and it's just taken its toll. So when they explain how the nerves come off that, feed your legs, explains the leg issue. And I deal with chronic pain almost every day. Every day, if it's not the headaches from the head injury, if it's not the numbness in the legs, the soreness in the back, it can be an emotional pain. You know, and that's where Jesus comes in. That's where Jesus shows up. That's where he picks you up out of the miry pit, as it says in Psalms, and he gives you the rock to stand. You know, obviously, you're probably going to say, and I can answer your questions now, yes, it can be difficult on me. It can be difficult on my wife, our children, and our grandchildren. Because some days, Pops doesn't feel like going an hour and a half away. They have four kids hanging on them. 
and the simple things that people take for granted, I'm limited. So it's hard on everybody, isn't it? It's not just doesn't affect Troy. It affects Anne, right on down the line. So in all these cases, this has caused me to cry out to God, to rely on God, and yes, depend on God, and become more like Jesus. Long introduction, but you're up to date on where I am physically. This morning, we're going to look at three ways that our suffering brings us closer to God, makes us more like Jesus, and by no means is this an exhaustive list at all. These are simply just three ways that God has really drawn me closer to Christ. Number one, our suffering causes us to rely on God. As we read Psalm 18:6, In my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. You know, as I think of a uh, picture this, here you are approaching the throne of God, covered by the blood of Jesus, right? You go to God, and God goes, and he listens. He listens. Here comes Andy. What does he have? Oh, Ricky's got something. What does he have? He listens. He listens, and he bends his ear. Think about it. It's not like he says, oh, man, here comes Troy again. What, what, how many G? Well, this is about eight times today. Okay, well, we're done with him. He doesn't do that. When he comes, he, he listens. You know, and, and again, I touched on some of it, but this accident caused me to be dependent. It really did. I had to be dependent on him. I had no other option. I had to be dependent on Ann. I had to be dependent on the buzzer. I had to be dependent on other people. And most importantly, I had to be dependent on God. In our suffering, we seek him, right? If you're going through a struggle, what do you do? I'm hoping you're going to God and saying, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm suffering. Remember, he bends his ear. He listens. Like Jesus, even Jesus, we're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. In a time of suffering, he had to depend on God, didn't he? He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. Think about that. Jesus, had a, Jesus, God, had to go to his Father and say, help me. If there's any other way, can you take this? But then, he, what did he say then? Not my will. Let your will be done. Number two, our suffering makes us more compassionate. You say, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you. Compassion denotes care, concern, and apathetic feeling for another person. Sounds like Jesus, huh? Being compassionate but yet driving it home. Being compassionate but giving them a way out. And that's important. You know, Christ identifies with us in our suffering. Let me read you Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So you can't say to God, you don't understand. Yeah, he does. You can't say to God, Man, if you just, if this were you, what would you do? Well, we've seen what he would do. He would go to his father and say, help me. And to rely on him, right? Depend on him. 
become compassionate through his suffering. That is what we're trying to get to here. So you, we don't serve a God unfamiliar with our pain. You know, when I think of um, how God has showed me compassion, I remember at Rivers Bend, I was in the gym, and one day I had just got uh, freed from my wheelchair, and I was learning to walk and learning different things, and in come this young lady. She was probably 20, 21, head down, sitting in her wheelchair, casts all over a scar from here all the way down, one on her elbow, back to her shoulder. And I remember thinking, wow. So, you know, just typical highs, you know, hey, my physical therapist introduced me to her, hey, this is Troy, and, and gave me her name. And so I started talking to her and share with her. And I remember one day she says to me, you get it. You understand what I'm going through. I can tell them, but they haven't been there. They don't see it the way you see it. It's compassion. It's showing that compassion. It's taking the time to talk, talk to someone, right? To go to them. How you doing? What's the typical thing you do, guys? Hey, what's up? Nothing. You good? Yeah, I'm good. And then you go, and then the guy's thinking, man, I'm losing my house, losing my family. We're not showing them. We're not showing them compassion at all. So I began getting closer to her, introduced her to Ann. Uh, we started hanging out. Ann would come over to the gym and see her. To this day, when she comes into town, she lives in North Carolina now, she'll text you, hey guys, you want to get together? We go to Big Boy, one of my places. We go somewhere, we meet up, we talk, we listen. How you doing? You know, I'm really struggling with this. It's been six years for her too. The pain is real. That's an opportunity for Ann and I to be Jesus, to be compassionate to reach out, to help. So, yeah, it's just this has really enabled me to relate people with chronic pain, suffer from an accident, and just going through something, let me say it this way, bigger than them. Bigger than them. There's nothing too big for him. You may say, man, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, but I probably can relate to you in some way, but I can tell you what he did for me and give you hope, give you compassion. The third thing and last thing it does, I promise, it's the last thing. Suffering refines our faith like gold. I'm going to read this passage from 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Sound familiar? We all face them. These have come so that, you, so that the proven genuineness of your faith are greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that's what I'm getting at. Do you, you hear what this says here? When you face grief and all kinds of trials, you come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, what happens when that enters your life? When you face something, is your faith grow or does it go away? All of a sudden you forgot how to pray. All of a sudden you forgot how to read the Bible. All of a sudden you forgot how to talk to someone. Come on. That's what God does when he gives people. You go through trials. And it's not to hurt you. It's not to harm you. It's to help you grow. God wants you to draw to him. God wants all of us to have a genuine faith. 
So how do we know that we have genuine faith? Has anybody ever asked you, come up to you and said, hey, Chris, you have genuine faith? Chris is like, oh, I think so. You know, and it, you know, what does that mean? You know, it's easy to trust God and have faith when all is well in life. You know, what did I say at the beginning? Live in the dream. People ask me, hey, Troy, how's it going? I'll say, I'm living the dream. Well, some days I'm not. And I need to be more honest with that. But what happens when tragedy takes place or there's suffering? How's your faith? Do you abandon your faith in God? Or do you allow him to refine your faith in this fire, in this trial? That is what you've got to decide. We all face it. I'm going to share a song uh, or just a small part of a song that we did a few weeks ago here on stage called Gold. We had our very own Sarah Goss uh, just killed this song when she did it. But listen to these words. They'll be up on the screen too. You have a purpose. You see the outcome. You have intention. You're bringing freedom. You will find in fire what you call gold. You will find in fire what you can mold. What we do with our pain defines our faith. So it's what you do with that. You know, I could have easily took about 66 through all this and just say, hey, you know, I, I can't deal with this. And there's days I did say that. But God always comes alongside of you and says, yes, you can. You can do this, Troy, through me. And what does Christ say? I'm blanking on the verse right now, but without me, you can do nothing. I found that out. In this accident, without him, I could do nothing. So you see that God has a purpose through your pain. He uses your pain to draw you closer to him. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I promise you, he will draw near to you. But you have to initiate it. You can't just sit there and say, God's going to draw near to me. Are you drawing near to him? Are you in his word? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you coming to men's group? Are you coming to women's group? Are you sharing your life with other believers? When those trials come, you're going to need a shoulder. When those trials come, you're going to need to be reminded. When you go off the tracks, they'll pull you back on. Iron sharpens iron, right? You've got to remember that because it, it does get important. It's very important. And God wants to be honest, us to be honest with him. As we open ourselves up to the Lord, he opens up to us. Think about that. If we come to him in our suffering, in submission, brokenness, and repentance, he rushes in, get to this, forgiveness, love, and faithfulness. Let me say that again. You're giving up uh, your suffering, your submission, your brokenness, and your repentance. You're giving all that up, right? Because it's not your load to carry. And what has he given you back? Come on, forgiveness, love, and faithfulness. Why would you want to harbor it? Why would you want to hold it? Because you're a man? Because you think you can? I'm here to tell you, you can't. You can't do it without them. So, so many of us that may ask the question today, God, where are you? The answer is right next to you. We often believe God is firing our pain, but the truth is he is near to those who are suffering. Right? Think of his uh, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are who? Those who mourn. Right? We all sit, we come in church and we put our mask on. 
we come in and we walk in, everybody says, man, I want to be, man, I really want to be more like Marco. I want to be more like Troy. I want to be more like Steve. You know, I, I want to be more like this, but what we want to do is be able to reflect Jesus. So when they come in, they say, I want to be more like Jesus. And that's going to only happen when you surrender, when you give up, when you go and just let it all go. So my big point is simply this. Christ is with us in our pain and suffering. You're not alone. He is with you. He's not going to leave you. He will not leave you or forsake you. A lot of you probably remember that from your verses in Bible school. And, and it's something that sounds so simple, but how peaceful, how restful to know that the God, creator of the universe, is never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. He's not going to, after this accident, say, Troy, good luck picking up the pieces. He didn't say that. He provided. So in conclusion, maybe you're here today and you're filled with brokenness and pain. And you know what I've learned? That our pain and brokenness, we become teachable. In your brokenness, you experience dependence on something other than yourself. You know what ends up happening? You have to rely on God. When you rely on God, you begin to see others like Jesus does, with a heart filled with compassion. And when you rely on God, guess what? You become refined through God's mercy and through his grace. And isn't that something that we all need? You know, if somebody's in her and, and you've got it all together and, and you've got the plan, please share it with me. Let me know how it is that you get through a day, you know, and you think you are in control. I left on that bike, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I came back four months later. I didn't know that. I thought I was just going to blow off some steam. God said, I'm about to take you on a journey that you've never been on before. I'm about to show you how much I love you. I'm about to teach you how to be more like my son. And I'm going to work in you and make something new out of something that was broken. You know, just like Joseph, right? The brothers takes him, hey man, let's go hang out. Throw him in a pit. He gets sold to slavery. He becomes second in command in Egypt, right? And then his brothers come before him. What was he able to show him? Compassion. Mercy. What was meant for bad, God used for good. So remember that today. Whatever you're going through, whatever is wearing you down, Jesus is bigger than that. And he will help you. Let's close. Father, Lord, we just thank you today for mercy, for grace. Father, you show up in so many ways today, Lord. You show up through a friend. You show up through a phone call. You show up through a coffee date. Father, you are always working in lives of believers. You are always looking for ways to help develop people into Jesus. You're always looking for a heart that says yes. You're looking for a heart that is willing. So, Father, today I pray that you search this uh, auditorium today. Holy Spirit, begin moving in hearts and minds. You know, Father, you told me in the first service that there was somebody in there that was, this would hit hard, and you were right. And, Father, I just really feel that there's someone here today Lord, that is just 
has not let go, has not just released the pain, has not released the anguish of what they're going through. They are selfish with those feelings, and they are saying they are mad at you. So, Father, I just pray today that freedom is brought, chains are broken, and that they come up, Lord, and that they uh, seek you today and see the healing power of Jesus Christ and the peace that passes all understanding will be theirs. And you will show up in the storm. You will be with them. And I thank you today, Lord, for what you had to say and what you have taught me and continue to teach me each and every day. And I thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.